This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Today's episodes can be a little bit different. I'm going to be talking about a tweet from a seminary. Now, this is not a social media-driven podcast, nor this is a theology-driven podcast. In fact, there's very little theological content in what I'm going to be talking about. So if you have an anti-social media bias, and if you have an anti-religion bias, you're certainly going to get a lot out of this podcast still. But if you're all about social media and you're all about religion, you'll probably also get something out of it. Because what I'm going to be talking about is a tweet that came out earlier this week. This podcast is being recorded on the 19th of September, 2019. And on September 17th, Union Theological Seminary tweeted a tweet that has made a pretty good splash in the media. And this is why I think this is pertinent to us. One, it has to do with um, the environment to a degree. Another, it is something that made headline news in all major uh, news outlets. So this is not some sort of little pigeonholed thing. You're probably asking yourself, what does this have to do with fly fishing? We'll get there. But Union Seminary, for those of you who aren't up to speed on all of the different kinds of seminaries in the country, is what we would classify as a liberal seminary. Now, when I say liberal, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is affiliated with liberal politics, although oftentimes that is the case. What this means is that there's a looser, more broad, and open-ended way of interpreting the subject matter at hand. And for a seminary, that happens to be Christianity, religion, and the texts of, of the Holy Bible. That would put them kind of off on the left end of the spectrum when it comes to seminaries. They aren't the same as like a Southern Baptist uh, seminary or an Orthodox or Reformed uh, seminary. But uh, they're still very, very pertinent in our cultural scene. And so when they speak, people listen, and especially when they tweet things like this. 
Today in chapel, we confessed to plants. Together, we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, but whose gift we too often fail to honor. What do you confess to the plants in your life? And there's a picture of a person with a microphone talking to a handful of potted plants. Now, I don't want to yuck someone's yum, and I don't want to necessarily criticize the people involved in this, but the concept that you can communicate with plants, let alone confess something or pray to them, is about as ridiculous as it comes. In fact, and no offense if, if this is a belief that you hold, but I'm not criticizing you, I'm criticizing the belief, but I would say the idea that you can confess your wrongdoings to plants as even more ludicrous than a flat earth theory. They're plants. Now, don't get me wrong, plants matter. And this is hopefully, you know, three and a half minutes in, if you haven't tuned out, where this becomes pertinent for fly fishers. And I think it's clear, within fly fishing, there is often an attached ethic an attached ethos of, of environmental concern. Regardless of what kind of person you are, if you are an ardent fly fisher, you probably care about the places that you fish in. So that means you don't just care about the fish, but you care about the other animals and the plants and the water and the air, all of it. And so we are running kind of parallel with other parts of society, other parts of culture that also have an increased ecological awareness. All right. So what I think something like this, and it's not an aberration. This was a tweet that made the news because not because this was coming from a college, not because this was coming from an ecological activist group, not even because this was coming from a political platform, but because this was coming from a seminary. And I think it shows some absurdity, but the fallacy that we could classify this is kind of referred to as the reducio ad absurdum. It, it reduces an argument. It reduces a mindset. It reduces a concept to the absurd level to show that if you stay on that path, you're going to end up in a really bizarre and untenable and inconsistent place. And I think that for fly fishers, we need to acknowledge that. And, and here's the kind of the, the end of the story. We'll, we'll flesh this out a little bit. But the end of the story is if you care more about a fish than you do about a person, it's not good. It's not healthy. Now, are there some people that are very hard to care for? Absolutely. Are fish lovely and worthy of our uh, attention and protection? Absolutely. But this idea that plants are, first of all, sentient beings, and secondly, that that we owe them something, it's problematic. And sadly, it's indicative of a mindset that is very present in our culture. And again, if we're not careful, can probably have effects on the way that we think about conservation. So let me talk a little bit more theoretical first, just to kind of establish some sort of baseline for again, ways that this can practically impact uh, conservation, both from an individual level, but also from a group level, whether it be a conservation organization or lobbying for some sort of political action. But there are some implications. 
First of all, one of the things that's dangerous about an idea like this that elevates a plant or an animal to the level of a person is that you're not actually elevating a plant. You're not actually elevating a trout. You're not actually elevating an elephant by assigning them uh, human characteristics. Now, I'm not talking about anthropomorphism, you know, assigning traits to animals and plants and things in order to communicate an attribute about them. You know, we talk about fish being smart and about fish being uh, shy and things like that. And, and, and we know what we mean by that. But I'm talking actually attributing the same sort of value to an animal or a plant or an inanimate object that you would to a person. That's You're not lifting the value of a blade of grass. You are actually devaluing people by um, by leveling things off. There There is a hierarchy, whether it be language, or if you want to stick with within simple biological realities, within the complexity of a being. That's actually something that you would see um, ardent classical Darwinian evolutionists and conservative Christian creationists agree upon, that there is a hierarchy to created life, and that it rests upon certain markers like biological complexity, culture, with things like language and, and whatnot. But what this means is that if you level everything off, what you're essentially saying is that a blade of grass needs your consent before you cut it, even if it is for that plant's benefit, that you need to ask that plant consent before you cut it and even if you were in their most ridiculous posture so as to do such a thing, how would you ascertain whether that plant was giving you its consent or not? Again, reducing the argument to the point of absurdity to prove what happens when you assign being status to a plant. What you're actually doing is not saying that plant is as good as a human. You're saying that, that humans are only as good as plants. And practically, we, we live our life knowing that plants are very different, that although we take care of plants and animals, that we protect plants and animals, that there is a hierarchical difference between people and animals. And it's actually a good thing. It gives us the opportunity to protect things. A wolf is not going to protect the deer so that there's deer tomorrow. The wolf's going to eat deer. The, um, the, the polar bear is not going to protect seals for the sake of protecting seals. The polar bear is going to eat seals. It doesn't keep track of seal stocks. Uh, Venus flytraps don't keep track of how many flies there are. Uh, but we have the capacity to do that. And, of course, do people abuse that? Yes. Do animals overhunt other animals? It does happen. But why is it problematic when people do it? Because we have the volition to do it because we have a will to do it. Animals just do it because that's what they normally do, and some ecological issue, oftentimes outside of the control or impact or causation of humans, drives them to do something they wouldn't normally do, which leads to uh, overharvest of, of either plants or animals. Again, what does this have to do with fly fishing? Why for 10 minutes have I been talking more uh, philosophy and religion and, and things like that? What I'm trying to communicate is that we have to keep things in proper perspective. We have to maintain the right frame of reference when we approach either our personal interaction with a trout as we cast 
and mend and make our presentation to that fish, or to an entire ecosystem that we, along with other people who work alongside of us, come to protect. We have to keep the proper perspective because what will happen and what is already happening is a few things. First of all, non-native species, invasive species, uh, particularly ones that we see as problematic for our sport fish that we enjoy and their habitats. If we have to confess our wrongdoings to plants, then what's going to stop people from saying, no, you can't try to rid the Great Lakes of zebra mussels? I know that's a rather Herculean task, but the zebra mussels, they're there. We brought them there, but they have every right to be there. You think of any other invasive plant or animal, and could it conceivably happen where even though they're not native and they do cause problems to local native species that someone might say, but they have feelings too? It sounds absurd, but so does confessing your sins to plants. Or how about this? And I don't mean to sound conspiracy theorist or alarmist, but think about fly fishing as an enterprise. What are you doing? You are not entering into some sort of contractual agreement with a trout when you cast a fly towards it. In fact, at its core, you are deceiving a fish and you are causing it distress. I personally believe that it's not the same kind of distress that a mammal feels, and it's certainly not the same kind of distress that a human being feels, but it's still tangible, palpable distress. I don't think it's the same kind of pain that other organisms feel, uh, again, higher up on the neurological uh, uh, complexity chart, if, if you will, but still, you are causing discomfort to that fish. If you have to, confess your sins to a plant. If there are people out there who don't just represent the lunatic fringe, but who are really only one or two steps, like less than one standard deviation away from a voice that has a real influence on some of the more progressive elements of our culture, then it's not unreasonable to think that sport fishing, fishing for food, catch and release, freshwater, saltwater, you name it, is going to come under more attack. I think that we've laughed off PETA for quite a while, and the economic viability of fishing licenses and the, and the sport fishing or, or, or recreational fishing industry has made the government pretty content with, with continuing to support anglers and not cracking down. But this kind of mindset is not that crazy with a lot of the other things that are being thrown out there these days. Now, I don't mean to sound doom and gloom, because I'm certainly not. I'm incredibly optimistic. I think this is going to blow over. I think that worldviews like this are completely unsustainable, because eventually what we're going to have to do is apologize to the bacteria in your stomach that are uh, destroyed and replicated on a daily basis, because they're a life form that's just as viable as a human being. I mean, that, that is actually further down the line of absurdity of, of, you know, calling plants essentially deity, talking about bacteria. But, but it's, it's a worldview that can't sustain itself. It is ludicrous at its core. So, I, again, I'm optimistic about all this. I think it's just going to be hopefully a fad. But how long is that going to be? Again, I know this is fly fishing, right? At the end of the day, fly fishing 
Is that going to take food off of your children's plates? Is that going to take money out of your wallet? Well, for some of us, it might put a lot of money in our wallet if we uh, <laughs> fishing goes away, but I don't want to think about that. But there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, it shows values. It shows ethics. And like I led with, it doesn't elevate plants and animals. It devalues people. And something that fly fishing does for us is it brings us together. We rally around an activity. We rally around a shared interest. We rally around a shared goal of protecting and sustaining and restoring environments. And every once in a while, we go out and we catch fish, either alone or together. But we share that bond and we share that commonality. But once the fish or, or the, the algae that the fish swim underneath and through becomes more important than the people that you're working with to protect that, then things start to get out of whack. And to stay with an, an ecological analogy, what happens when an ecosystem gets out of whack? Things die off. There's sterility. And I would say the same thing goes for culture. When we prioritize the wrong things, we not only are, are just kind of drawing bad cards out of the deck of ethics. In a weakened state, such a culture wouldn't be of any benefit to a fish or an ecosystem. The incredible beauty of human collaboration would be lost because essentially it's not of any value. It's not beneficial. It's not helpful. It's actually bad. It's seen as negative. When people get together, things die. And so although that has happened, although there are certainly negative consequences, both to culture and to ecosystems, when people do the wrong thing, there's also an immense upside when people rally in the right way, with the right mindset, with a proper, consistent worldview, where not just plants and animals, but also culture and civilization can work and live in harmony. It is possible. It is a mandate that we have been given and that we can certainly fulfill. So again, I don't mean to be pejorative. I don't mean to be uh, mean or mocking, certainly not to a person, but to a viewpoint, I am going to be a little bit biting. I mean, confessing your sins to plants is just ridiculous. That being said, if this is something you think is great, and I've offended you, please come to me, email me, um, give me a, a, a ring on social media. I'm happy to talk about it. And furthermore, if you are listening to this and you're thinking this is crazy, but you think maybe that person you work with or that family member has that kind of mentality, have a conversation, but don't do so in a way that is denigrating. Do so in a way that shows that your viewpoint, which does put plants in their proper place, does put fish in a proper place, and does put people in their proper place, actually is a great means for supporting plants and fish and things like that. And demonstrate a good, solid, consistent, thorough, holistic, ecological ethic that protects fish and where fish swim. So have at it and just be careful of what you tweet. You never know what might happen. This week on Casting Across, the website, there's two articles. The first one is called Fly Fishing Podcast Worth Listening to, Part 11. 11 of these so far. So um, in this uh, article, I wrote five different 
episodes from five different podcasts that I think you should listen to. If you're listening to me, you definitely ought to listen to these also. Uh, very different than me. I would be surprised if they talked about what I talked about. The fact that they didn't probably is why they have thousands of more subscribers than I do. But hey, this was my choice. But check that out for five great podcasts and episodes within those podcasts for you to listen to. And I, I give reasons why. I don't just say, just do it. That's lazy writing. So I give you a little synopsis of the podcast and the, and the uh, episode. And then Wednesday, it was called How Young is Too Young to Flycast. There's lots of great articles about how to get your kids to fly fish ways to do it, places to go, uh, how to increase their catch rate, how to be patient, how to be patient, how to be patient. Where well, there's no facet within fly fishing that requires more patience from you, the parent, the grandparent, the uncle, the friend, than teaching them to fly cast. Have you ever untangled a knot? Have you ever untangled five knots in five minutes? Well, if that is the kind of thrill that makes you happy, you need to take a kid and teach them how to fly cast. But uh, a couple of helpful hints that I've worked with my kids and other kids I've shown how to fly cast in that article. Today's recommendation on the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast is for Postfly. Now, you've heard of Postfly, probably, because Postfly is the biggest mail-order subscription-based fly fishing program out there. Now, flies, they are what they are. They work. I catch fish with them. You can probably get flies anywhere. These are good flies. They're totally serviceable flies. But the reason why I'm recommending Postfly today is that in these subscription boxes, you get all sorts of other little things. And although, again, the flies are great, and I use them, I throw them in my box. Um, sometimes I use them right away. Sometimes I use them way down the line. Um, sometimes I don't use them, just they're, but they're there, and that makes me happy knowing they're there. But sometimes the other things I get thrown in the box with the flies are clutch. For example, my favorite buff, actually plural, buffs. I've received multiple buffs from Postfly in the past, and they're my favorite. They're soft, they're breathable, they don't stink after a day on the water. That's a little thing, but would I have gone out and bought myself two new buffs? No, but they just showed up. Uh, some little fly tying tools, uh, a little fly box, things like that that go into these boxes along with stickers, along with a little uh, newsletter, um, things like that, tippet spools, all sorts of stuff. They are the added bonus that actually kind of takes the fly box to the next level. Now, certainly Postfly is not the only game in town. They're just the biggest, and they've been around the longest, and uh they're the one I have the most experience with. So definitely check it out, if not for yourself, for somebody else. If you are a hardcore fly angler and you don't need six flies a, a month, then you know this isn't for you. But if you're somebody who just wants a couple of flies or wants to send somebody a couple of flies every month, but then also some other really cool things on top of it, this is great. I think, and, and this is going on longer, just but these things are coming to my mind, a lot of the, the flack that companies and products like this get it totally undeserved because it's not like it's being marketed to a fly fishing guide. A monthly fly subscription is perfect for a intermittent angler or a new angler or somebody who just likes getting that. And is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. All right. There's a lot more than I intended to say, but I felt like it needed to be said. Not just about Postfly, but a lot of other companies I think are doing really cool things, have an awesome niche in the market, and get just sometimes they get hate online for just really silly reasons but for the intents and purposes of this podcast the extras that you get in the post fly fly box are really cool and worth checking out
Thank you for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.